0: Welcome to Walk Through the Bible, Susan Michael's 12-month journey through the most exciting book on the planet. It will transform your life one page at a time. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes that will ignite your faith and bring your Bible to life. Now, let's join our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there. You know, today we're going to be talking more about the early church, and a lot of times, we kind of idolized the early church as just uh, the kind of the highlight of Christianity. And, and uh, you know, we have a beautiful description of the church there in Acts 2 and 3 and 4. But there was also a lot of division, and there were some contentious issues. So we're going to be talking about this week. You know, the early church was initially made up of Jews who believed in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, And boy, were they surprised when the Holy Spirit began to fall on Gentiles. And this introduced so many problems into the already difficult life of the early church. But I am so grateful for the way that the Jewish leaders handled the situation and for the wonderful apostolic leadership of Paul, particularly, But they were all true pioneers and visionaries, and they allowed the Holy Spirit to lead them into a whole new season in God's redemptive plan. So that's what we're going to hear about this week. I want to welcome you. This is Walk Through the Bible, week number 48. We are reading this week in our daily Bibles the dates of November 26 through uh, December the 2nd and uh, or that would be the pages of 1513 to 1545. Last week we talked about three really exciting portions of scripture in the story of the resurrection of Jesus of the uh his final words of the great commission to the disciples and then the outpouring of the holy spirit upon the early church. The early church is growing so fast and persecution begins almost Immediately. So this week we're going to uh, pick up the story and uh, we're going to read about Peter, who is in the city named Joppa. Today it's called Joppa, uh, but then it was Joppa. And he raises Dorcas from the dead. And nearby in Caesarea, which is just a hop, skip, and a jump from uh, Joppa, was a Roman Saturian named Cornelius. And it says that he was of the Italian regiment, but he was a devout, God-fearing man who gave alms and was very respected by the Jews. So I want to explain this first. In the synagogues, not just throughout Israel, but all throughout the Roman Empire, remember, the Jews had been in exile— Now, for some of them, 700 years, others 500 years. Some had returned and built the national life there in the land, but there were Jews scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And last week, we read how that there were Jews in Jerusalem for Pentecost, and they had come from every nation under heaven. So they're spread throughout. There are synagogues all throughout the Roman Empire. And it was very common that in those synagogues, you would find Gentiles who had either converted to Judaism, which means they had been fully circumcised and had been converted and accepted into the community as Jews, or there were other Gentiles who hadn't taken the full step of official conversion, but they were a part of the synagogue. They were called God-fearing. And that means that really they had adopted Judaism. They were in the synagogue. They prayed. They gave alms to the Jews as the, as the Jewish people did. And it says here of Cornelius that he was respected by the Jews. And that's why he was one of those God-fearing Gentiles, a part of the Jewish community. This was very common. So the angel um, says to uh uh, Cornelius, your prayers and your have been heard, and your gifts have been seen, and they've been as a memorial before God. And he tells him to send for Peter, and Peter has a vision. He's praying in Joppa, and he has a vision of this large sheet, and it's filled with animals and birds. And God tells him to rise up and eat. He says, God forbid, I've never eaten an unclean animal. And so God tells him not to call uh, unclean what is clean, what God has made clean. And he does this three times. And then lo and behold, here comes the uh, servants that Cornelius has sent, takes Peter back to Cornelius's home. Peter goes in the home and he says, you know, I as a Jew should not be stepping foot in your home as a Gentile. But I am here because God has told me uh, to come and to not consider to be unclean what God has made clean. Now, I'm going to be very clear here. This vision was not about food and dietary laws. God used food and dietary laws to make a point to Peter, I'm sending you to the Gentiles, and uh, don't consider them unclean if I have made them clean. And so as Peter preaches to Cornelius and his family, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. So obviously, the Lord had heard their prayers. He considered them clean. He was pouring out the Holy Spirit. Peter needed to accept them as well. That's the message of that uh, vision. Now, um, at the same time, we read about the church in Antioch. And in Antioch, it is growing, and there are many Gentiles coming into uh, the faith. And so Barnabas goes to Tarsus, where Paul had fled. Actually, they told him, Paul, get out of Jerusalem. Uh, You're too contentious. You get too much attention. There's too much opposition to you. So he had gone to Tarsus, and Barnabas went and found Paul, and he said, come, come. The mission field is now uh, outside of Jerusalem. Come to Antioch, and uh, Paul did. Now, um, in Acts 13, we have Paul's first recorded sermon, which is in a synagogue. So the pattern here is that when uh, the apostles would enter a town, the first thing they would do is go to the synagogue. And you'll notice a lot of the times, you'll notice this when you're reading through the book of Acts, that in the synagogue, it'll say that there were Jews and there were God-fearing Gentiles. And, um, and sometimes there were, um, Hebraic Jews, which were strict Jews, and there were Greek Jews or Hellenistic Jews. They were the more assimilated Jews. They were the less dogmatic ones, but they were a part of the Jewish community. And then you had these Gentiles. Some had actually converted to Judaism, were fully observant of the law. And then there were other Gentiles that were just a part of Judaism, but had not formally converted. So you have all these different factions in the synagogues. So Paul would go to the synagogue, and and, or they would all go, start in the synagogues, but here we read about in Acts 13, Paul goes to the synagogue and preaches his first sermon there, and he says, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God. So there you have it. They're right there in the synagogues. It's very, very common. Um, But... Eventually, the, there would be opposition to the apostles, and they would be kicked out of the synagogues. But you need to know that their message was just as contentious to the Gentiles as it was to the Jews. So while the Jews may have not uh, agreed with the preaching of Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, there was, the Gentiles may not have liked that they were coming in and um, and disturbing the life of the city and the worship of the pagan gods uh, in the city. And then all of them may have been very, very worried about the preaching of a king other than Caesar. So uh, it wasn't just the Jews that opposed the message. Um, it was all of them. It was a very contentious message of Jesus as king and Messiah. And um, so the Paul and the the apostles, uh, but we we read mainly about Paul and his missionary journeys. And um, here it says that the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. So these God-fearing women were part of the synagogue. And the leading men, I guess, also of the synagogue, but obviously they're Gentiles. So there's all this mix. Sometimes it's really hard to understand who's what and, and um, the, the root of the opposition because of this mixture. And uh, the same thing happened in the synagogue in Iconium. They're kicked out. There's troubles. And it follows Paul from city to city. And uh, you really, your heart goes out to Paul. It's a very hard calling that he has. But do you know, in every city, a church would be born. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of rejection by many, would be the acceptance by a few. And those few would be the nucleus of a church in that city. And then as Paul went more and more on his travels, He would come back to visit those cities. He would write letters back to those cities to stay in touch with those new little churches that were springing up and that were maturing and growing up. Now, um, as I say, Paul is brought to Antioch, and there's many Gentiles coming uh, to the Lord through all of their travels, they're seeing Gentiles coming to the Lord. So this is really a growing issue. What do we do with these Gentiles? Uh, Do we tell them that they need to be circumcised or not? So Paul and Barnabas go back to Jerusalem to meet with the leaders of the church. These are the leaders of the entire church at the time, they're in Jerusalem. They are all Jewish believers in Jesus, and they go back to tell them what's happening around the world uh, in their in their travels. I should say it happened first in Caesarea with Peter. Now Paul seeing it happen here and there. What do we do with them? And this is the famous Jerusalem Church Council that we read about in Acts fifteen. This is a pivotal moment, my friends, and it's a pivotal moment. For those of you like me that are Gentile, uh, that today we have come to know Jesus. And thanks to the decision made here in Acts 15, you and I did not have to become circumcised, convert to Judaism in order to receive the Holy Spirit and be a part of the church. The uh, leaders of the church said, well, look, um, if, they, if God is accepting the Gentiles as they are, then we should accept them as they are. And law and Jewishness were not required for them to receive the Holy Spirit. So who are we to say that they need to be, come under the law or to become Jewish? And so they uh, wrote a letter to the Gentiles and Paul carries this letter back to the church at Antioch, and it goes throughout to any of the churches after that. But this letter tells them that they do not have to uh, observe the law, but they ask them to abstain from food polluted by idols, to abstain from sexual immorality, and meet strangled animals or eating strangled animals and from blood. And then they give this reason because the law of Moses has been preached in every city. So in other words, in every city, there are Jewish congregations and synagogues and Jewish people with great sensitivity towards the dietary laws, sensitivity towards paganism and eating any meat that's been uh, sacrificed to an idol. And so in order to be sensitive to these Jewish people that may come into the church, abstain from these things. It's not about law, and it's not about that you can't be saved if you go um, eat the blood of an animal. It's saying to be sensitive to the Jewish sensitivities, please abstain from these things. So I uh, thank God that these leaders had this wisdom and that they made this decision, and this just... pushed open the gates uh, for Gentiles to come into the church full force. And so, as I said, uh, Paul takes this letter back to the church in Antioch, and it just happens to be in Antioch is the first place that the followers of Jesus are called Christians. Up until this point, they've been called the Way, and they've also been called the, the Nazarenes. Uh, the followers of the Nazarene, um, and there were Ebionites. But, um, But this is the first time in Antioch that they are called Christians, and they are the first ones to receive this letter from the Jerusalem Council. So now the Apostle Paul has to contend With all these factions in the early church out in the Roman Empire, and people come through, and all of a sudden they tell them, You need to be circumcised. And Paul has to write a letter and say, No, 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 don't listen to them. They're preaching a gospel that's different from the one I preached. You do not have to be circumcised, you do not have to come under the law. And he lays out the reasons why. And so, the first book that Uh, Paul may have written, a lot of people think it's the first book that he wrote, is the book of Galatians. And Galatians really deals with this issue quite a lot. The issue of the law. What is the purpose of the law and how that the early believers in Jesus, these Gentile believers, did not need to come under The law. So let's look at this for a minute. In Galatians 3, I want to look particularly at uh, verse 21 and verse 24. So he says here, Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? So he has told them they do not have to observe the law. So he says here, Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. 24. So the law was our guardian. Some translations say tutor. Until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. So what is he saying here? That we are justified by faith. Therefore, we do not have to come under the law. And then he says here, so does that mean that the law is like in opposition to being justified by faith? And Paul says, no, it's not in opposition. It's just that we can't be justified through the law. The law was given as our guardian, as our teacher. The law was given to keep us in the way of God until Christ came, and then that we would be justified by faith, So the law had a very important role to play to prepare us and to point us towards the coming of Christ. It's not in contradiction. It's just not needed for salvation and for justification. Now, um, going on into um, 3, verse 7, it says... Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave or someone in bondage, but you're God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you an heir. So the uh, difference here is that um We are not to be in bondage to the law because God has sent His Spirit into our hearts. We are no longer a slave or a servant. We're a child, and we become an heir. And that's the difference. It's all about the Holy Spirit. And in the last few weeks, we talked about in the New Covenant that it wasn't going to be like the Old Covenant at Sinai with the law on tablets. The New Covenant was, number one, going to forgive them of their sins, but it was going to write the law on their hearts, and that would be done by the Holy Spirit. That is what is so different, that through the uh, death of Jesus, and the which was for the justification, our justification, our right standing before God, our forgiveness, that we are now considered as clean by God. And he will pour his Holy Spirit into us because we are sons. We are heirs. We are joint heirs with Christ. So looking now at Galatians 5, uh, verses 13 through uh, 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command to love your neighbor as yourself. So this is saying that you are not to be a bondage to the law. You are to be free. But that doesn't mean that you're free to go out and sin and to live however you want to. It means that you are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit, which means that you will walk in love. And that in itself will be in obedience to the law. So you see, it's not about a rote obedience to the law. It's about being led of the Spirit to walk in love which then is a fulfillment of the laws. Verse 16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he tells them the difference. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the acts of the flesh are this. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God because they are not walking in the obedience of the freedom of the Spirit. <laughs> Verse 27, but the fr- 22, sorry. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So he's saying, you've received the Spirit, now walk in the Spirit, And keep walking in the Spirit. Don't give in to envy. Don't give in to provoking each other and to all of these divisions. My friend, it is the Holy Spirit that makes the difference. And if you ever want to know, well, is this God's will or what? And what is the Spirit leading me to do? Ask yourself this. Is it love? Is it peace? Is it joy? Is it kind? Is it good? These are the tests so that you will know what is of the Holy Spirit in your life, and walk in that spirit and fulfill the law that is wrapped up in love. Now, um, Paul then goes on his second missionary journey, and the agitators follow him around again, and he goes to Thessalonica, and then Corinth for a year and a half. And Paul's really very discouraged, so much so that Jesus appears to him. Now, this is the second time, I think, that Jesus has appeared to Paul, and he tells him to stay in Corinth. And so Paul does. He stays there for a year and a half. And from there, he writes uh, some more letters. And so We read, uh, this week we read 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and um, he's having to deal with these baby churches. They're in infancy. Their understanding is basic, but they have all of these voices and and contentious divisions amongst them telling them uh, to do this or to not do that. So Paul writes, and he tells them that, you know, His colleague Timothy has given a very good report of the Thessalonians, but he has to deal with two problems. One is sexual immorality, and the other is that they're not working. There are some of some philosophy that they don't need to work. We're not sure why. Um, If they're They're thinking that they're just going to wait for the return of Jesus. They don't need to work. Or if there was something else going on in the society around them, but they weren't working, and he's telling them, get up, start working, and um, provide for yourself and for your family. And then in 2 Thessalonians, somebody wrote a letter to Thessalonians and acted like it was from Paul. And so he had to write a second letter to set the record straight and to correct uh, some wrong information. And one of the things they thought was that Jesus had already returned. So he had to tell him, believe me, when Jesus returns, you're going to know it, because the whole world is going to know it. And he goes into a description of what that return will be like. Then, after a year and a half in Corinth, Paul goes on the third missionary journey. And on the road, then he writes back to the church at Corinthians and writes 1st uh, and 2nd Corinthians, which we begin reading this week and continue in uh, next week. Uh, Corinthians is a much longer book. It once again has to deal with sin inside the church. And then it answers various questions about sex, about marriage, about some gray areas like meat sacrificed to idols. And and keep in mind, once again, you're dealing with the hardcore Jews, the assimilated Jews, the uh, pagans that had converted to Judaism and now maybe were a part of the church. Uh, pagans that just coming into the church and they're bringing that pagan lifestyle with them of um, sexual immorality, of eating the meats. I think the butchers were actually a part of the whole temple system in these cities. It was hard not to eat meat that wasn't take, uh, cut And cooked in a temple. And so how do you deal with all of this? And this is why Paul has to write these letters, deal with these issues, and try to bring unity um, to the churches. And of course, how to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, So a lot of reading this week. There's so many things that we could talk about, but I just want to bring it up, uh, wrap it up for this week. Um, You know, in spite of all the persecution that Paul and the early church endured, uh, the early church was born, and in all these cities throughout the Roman Empire. And if you study the lives of the apostles and where they went, they went everywhere. They went all the way to India. They went to Egypt, to Cyprus, to Iraq, you know, All of these areas, to Rome, to Spain, um, these were the early believers, and they took the gospel, and baby churches were born all throughout the Roman Empire, and they did it in spite of severe persecution. Most of them were martyred because of their faith. I am so grateful for them, and then we see how divided the church was and how contentious Some of these issues were in the early church. This should actually encourage us. We have some contentious issues dividing our church today, and uh, we should be encouraged that it's nothing new, divisions, uh, but we must seek to bring unity for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the mission that we've been given. I am so thankful to the Jewish council, the Jerusalem council that we read about in Acts 15 for their wise decision how to allow the Gentiles to come into the church, how they managed all of this. You know, Jesus didn't tell them that this was going to happen. They were caught totally by surprise when the Holy Spirit fell on Gentiles. He hadn't told them what was going to happen and what to do and result. They had to just be led of the Holy Spirit and hear from the Holy Spirit how to handle these situations one after the other. And I'm so grateful for them. I'm grateful for Paul and the early apostles and what they did and the price they paid. Um, So as you're reading through this week, you can keep these things in mind and um, be encouraged over the life of the early church and uh, the work of God that prevailed in spite of all of this. And we can be encouraged. I believe that the work of God is going to prevail in our days as well. But enjoy the reading of God's Word. And until we're back here together next week, God bless. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.